This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Mark it down, Sunday, April 10th. It's the 34th annual All-Star Labor Classic presented by Philadelphia's Organized Labor and featuring the best of the best, high school girls and high school boys in a city versus suburban showdown. It's the All-Star Labor Classic, a Philadelphia tradition showcasing the very best high school girls and boys basketball players from the entire Delaware Valley. That's Sunday, April 10th, starting at noon. The live games will be played at Ridley High School. Now, on Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause. If we don't move in our own direction, we're going to become extinct. In fact, in some cases, we're close to being extinct right now. Presented by the law offices of Pond, Lee Hockey, Giordano. Talk, listen, and speak to the region's most influential leaders. This is The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause. Man, a good Saturday night, everyone, and welcome in to another live edition of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause as we broadcast to you live here on Talk Radio 1210. WPHT. We're all presented exclusively by Pond Lahaki, and we've got a triple shot uh, of programming for you tonight on the radio station. Three hours of the labor show with J. Doc and Krause, uh, six to seven, seven to eight, of course, is the John Doherty hour, and then a very special show coming up tonight from eight to nine p.m. Now, the eight to nine p.m. show uh, will be a rebroadcast of our energy special We'll talk more about that throughout the first two hours, uh, but we're going to reintroduce the market uh, to RINs. We're going to reintroduce uh, our topic in terms of our conversation about RINs, about RINs rather, uh, which we did at the PBF refinery uh, down in Delaware City. So three hours of the labor show tonight on a Saturday night. Uh, settle in uh, and enjoy some good conversation. Of course, my partner, Jay Doc, uh, who had to stop and get a coffee on the way <laughs> to the studio because we're doing three because uh, we're doing three hours tonight, Jay Doc. <laughs> um, Welcome in, brother. Got a great show lined up. Hour one, hour two, and hour three. Yeah, no question about it, Joe. And and, and certainly, um, I'm excited about tonight. Uh, one of the things, we're going to start off with an incredibly important situation going on in the city of Philadelphia that may even jeopardize public safety. And, and, and you know the night we got out there freezing, blustery winds, something goes wrong, you're calling 911. The individuals we have in the first hour represent... Those individuals, the people that come out in the freezing cold and, and, and whether, whether there's a fire, paramedics, whatever the situation is, they're there for us. It's time for us to be there for them. All right, good stuff. Hour number one, Mike Bresnan is the president of Local 22, the International Association of Firefighters. He's going to be with us for the entire hour here in hour number one. We're also going to be joined by Chuck McQuilkin, who's the VP 
Chief of Operations for Local 22, and also joining us, the first Vice President, uh, Tommy McKiernan, uh, is going to be with us as well. Mike Bresnan, we bring him into uh, the conversation. Mike, welcome back into the Labor Show. It wasn't that long ago uh, that we had you for a few moments on the show. We're glad to have you uh, for a full hour. Let me introduce you by reading the headline, um, and then I'll let you react to that, and then J-Doc can pick up uh, with some Q&A as we come to you tonight on the Labor Show. Philadelphia Firefighters Union sues city over COVID-19 vaccine mandate. The Firefighters Union says up to 30% of its members could be suspended under the mandate. So that's the headline. Uh, We bring in Mike Bresnan, who is the president of Local 22, and he joins us on the Labor Show. Mike, a good evening, brother. Hey, Joe, thanks for having me. I don't know what all that initial uh, talk was about your three hours, but uh, you got a hat trick in hour one with uh, Tommy McKeon and Chucky McCorkin and myself. We're going to lay it out for you. Well, I'll tell you, I think Joe was just buying time till I got in and got my coffee taken care of. But, yeah, no, I mean, no question about it. Uh, Mike, you and I talked earlier. It's extremely, uh, uh, you know, serious situation that potentially jeopardizes um, – public safety if you and we do we got uh you know a triple threat here in in the first hour and we couldn't be more excited um if you would mike um give us a little status update on this situation well joe the 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 headline that joe read it's a little misleading um just to get down what's going on the facts um you know as you know there's four major uh municipal unions in the city right district council 33 to blue collar 47 to white fop ourselves so when this mandate came down from the city you know they were trickling it out at one point the uh county administration said that's it every city employee's got to do it with our with us and um the fop were covered under act 111 which is the pa state law saying hey you have to collectively bargain with us in lieu you can't strike obviously we don't want to strike we never would strike right because our number one goal is public safety as you said earlier so the history of it is 33 went to an interest arbitration. They came out with an award. It was uh, our neutral arbitrator, Alan Simonette, basically said that, you know, they had to get the shot. Um, if they didn't get the shot, that would be terminated. They, the city likes to use the word leave like it's, no, it's terminated. And then the city, let some cities, I don't know if ours did, but they twist it and say, well, no, they quit. No, that's not the case. You're basically saying you get the shot or we're going to kick you to the curb. So they did have some language in there about exemptions, medical, religious exemptions, but it still said if your exemption wasn't approved, you're getting kicked to the curb. So 47, um, you know, President Scott, I talked to Kathy Scott, they didn't have, to, they didn't go to interest arbitration, they had an agreement, mimic 33, so it leads us into the FOP, who's is still pending, and Alan Simonette, interestingly enough, is their, their arbitrator too, that did, he actually did their contract award, and, and what's unique with them compared to us is in their contract award, this last contract they got, it said if any uh, mandate from the city came down concerning COVID, it would have to go back to their interest arbitration panel that handled their contract. So therefore, it kind of fell under Act 111 and back in Alan Simonette's hands. With us, when we got our contract, it ended up being an award, even though we had very good negotiations with Deputy Mayor Laser, um, good working relationship, and um, our language said it would go to an interest arbitration panel, not the one who handled our award. So that leads us to 
you know, the city's pressuring us. Hey, hey, we, I say, hey, we want to negotiate. We want to sit down and negotiate. We don't want to go to court. We don't want to go to an arbitrator. We can work this out. We could work this out with, with labor relations and Richie Laser. right? He's a good guy. He's reasonable. We, we, we've had our moments, but we always seem to come to a compromise. So, unfortunately, there was some peripheral pressure, we believe, maybe from people in the health department, maybe the law firm the city hires, which, you know, we're not too fond of. It's Ballard and Spar. Um, we consider them an anti-public safety law firm. They, they defended the city when um, Nutter browned out companies, closed fire companies, mass rotated firefighters. So they're back in business here. And they're, they're, so they, they actually threatened to sue us. They said we weren't. Um, picking an arbitrator or collectively, you know, bargain. I said, no, 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 we want, we want to, we want a bargain. So, um, they went and, uh, told our counsel, you know, like I said, they're going to sue us. And then all of a sudden, uh, it was February 11th. I believe they just basically put an email at the whole city employee said, everybody's under the mandate, even, even, even the firefighters and they're going to file the FOP award. And we're like, no, that's not how it works. So we think they were, um, I don't know, provoking us, but obviously um, they poked the wrong ones because uh, we're not, we're going to defend our members. And this, this isn't about um, being against the vaccine. You know, I got the vaccine or executive board got the vaccine. We are against you terminating a member. That's unjustified. You can't, you can't do it. So, so we basically went into court to say, hold up. no, we need a we need an injunction. Stop! We're not under the FOP award, and so uh, interesting enough, this thing's moving pretty fast. We do now have a neutral arbitrator, so we are headed to an arbitration hearing maybe next month. But we're hoping that, like I said, core heads prevail. Um, we get these outside peripheral uh, pressure, and we can sit down with with the city and work this out. You know, that's that's where we're at. Mike, isn't it supposed to uh, take place on, on March 1st, is that correct? And what's what's that, Joe? The actual, the due date when, when the city's trying to uh, force everybody to, to, to be vaccinated or, or the, uh, you know. Uh, yeah, there, look, it's, it, 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 I'm even confused at this point. From we're, We've been all over the place. Yeah, I know the FOP um, award on the COVID thing is not finalized yet. They're actually meeting in early March to determine what would happen to the officers that don't have an exemption approved or does or don't have the shot to determine if they're ultimately going to be terminated. And again, it makes, it, it makes no sense, especially in this city right now. You don't, you don't tinker with public safety. And look, uh, I tell this uh, as much as I can, these politicians, they got to remember that their number one priority is public safety. That's what they're responsible for. Everybody in the city's safety citizens, visitors, we get up to 2 million people in here during, you know, during the day, there's 2 million people in the city sometimes. And we, the first responders, you know, firefighters, paramedics, EMTs, we are on the front lines of this, been on the front lines of it. Any emergency, we're there. We're there in under four minutes for the most part. Our ambulances aren't. That's another case. Chucky will, will get into that. Uh, with the EMS problems, but um, you know we're, we do we make them look good. And if you look at any survey of, of this city over the years, they they survey citizens on uh, satisfaction of departments. Fire department is always at the top, sometimes eighty eighty percent or more approval rating. Now, now doing and, this um, whole pa- well, uh, just sixty Mike, just seconds, J Doc. One break. second, Mike. During this entire pa- pandemic, 
uh, our firefighters and, and our paramedics have been not only essential workers, but like you said, first on the scene, okay, before there was a vaccine, before anybody really knew anything. One of the things you guys are talking about, uh, those that aren't vaccinated are, t- are getting tested and wearing PPE. I mean, so you have solutions in place, correct? Joe, there's no reason why, um, you know, if a member doesn't want the shot, can't just wear an N95 mask, double mask, weekly test, et cetera. If you, you look, they always say follow the science. Well, let's follow the latest science, right? They came out. They said, you know, the, the people highest at risk are over the age of 65 with four, mo- four morbidities and um, obesity, et cetera. We don't, that's not a snapshot of our membership. We have a younger in shape firefighters and medics. We have biannual physicals. No other union has that. Our, our members get screened for cancer, what the union provides. We're very, very healthy and in shape. And, um, you know, our members know the risk. And, you know, they, they, you can't just kick highly trained, experienced, or a diversified department. Why would you do something like this? Someone has to come to their senses, stop being stubborn, and say, you know what, let's, let's pivot here. The, the science, the data is changing. We're going to be okay. You know. Labor show with J-Doc and Krause here on a Saturday night. We'll get to our first commercial break. Back in a moment. Tonight's edition of The Labor Show is sponsored in part by IBEW Local 98 North, UFCW Local 1776, Sheet Metal Workers Local 19, and the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, DC 21. This whole nonsense about not giving workers the right to organize with so-called right to work, that's bad. Something like that comes to my desk, I'll be to it, not just because I'm a Democrat, not just because I'm pro-labor, but because I know for a fact that's not very smart. Great to be with you live here with The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause as we broadcast to you on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT, hour number one of a triple shot, three hours of The Labor Show uh, here tonight on a Saturday night. Mike uh, Bresden, president of the International Association of Firefighters Local 22, uh, kicked us off. Mike will be with us for uh, the full hour, J. Doc. In just a moment, we'll bring in and introduce to the audience Chuck McQuilkin, who's the VP Chief of Operations for Local 22. Mike, before we bring Chuck into the conversation and kind of transition into our conversation uh, with Chuck, um, in simple terms, in terms that the audience can understand, because there's a lot of information that people may or may not get, put it in simple terms for me in terms of where we are what your how how your members feel about it, and what is the next step? Well, Krause, um, we're waiting on the process. Uh, like I said, we're hopefully going to come to a, a good compromise where none of these highly trained, experienced, dedicated members are going to lose their job. So we're hopeful, and, and we want to um, relieve any stress or anxiety they may be having over it because they know um, we're going to go to bat for them, and we'll do whatever it takes, and we're not going to let nobody get terminated. And, and uh, that gives me the opportunity to bring in Chuck McQuilkin, uh, VP Chief of Operations. Chuck, how are you? Good. How are you? We're great, you man. And yeah, no, we can hear you fine. And, and the, right. the greatest irony, you know, is, is that uh, we have an EMS situation uh, that is majorly understaffed. And now they're talking about potentially impacting the jobs of 30 percent of our firefighters uh, and our paramedics. Uh, talk about the dire need we have for paramedics 
that in many ways is putting the public safety at risk? Well, uh, first thing, let me thank you for having us on tonight um, to, you know, tell our story here. Um, it, the, we're, the shortage of um, medics is a, is a nationwide thing. Um, it's not just, you know, uh, in Philadelphia. It, it, it's all around the country. Um, but recently, our hands have been tied by that new law uh, passed by council and, and the voters um, in the city that you have to live in the city for a year um, before you can uh, apply for a job uh, with the city. That has severely um, hampered our recruitment operation. Um, it, it's hard to get talent um, and, and good medics, you know, that, that the, the citizens deserve. Um, so that's, that's one part. And uh, what that does is it's a domino effect, okay? So when you're short on the EMS side, then they go to firefighters. So they're, they pick firefighters out to detail them in the medic units to replace medics, and you're not getting the, um, the skilled paramedic coming to your house all the time. You know, it, it, it could be two firemen showing up, um, a fireman and an EMT, you, you never know what you're getting, and um, it's scary. It really is. Yeah, and, and, and the city council, are they aware that, you know, especially, are there any special qualifications, uh, obviously, uh, for being a paramedic, uh, the medic, in, in order to take the test or just pass the test, for crying out loud? So th- there is no test that, that for uh, paramedics. Um, it, when, if you have your paramedic license, you can... You know, you come in and then they go over protocols um, and how we do things here in Philadelphia. And you, you, I think they do a ride along and stuff like that. So there's no test um, for, for paramedics. And the same with the EMTs. Well, you already have your EMT certification. You're good to go. But that they, the city hasn't hired EMTs um, in, in a while. Uh, I, don't, I don't think they plan on doing that. Um, looking. The commissioner's goal is to have everything ALS, and that's advanced life support, where you have two paramedics um, going to answer an emergency calls. Chuck, let me ask you about the requirement to reside in the city of Philadelphia, and I just want to make sure, just for clarity, uh, on on the surface, it sounds it sounds easy enough to understand. Where the story is, though, is from a recruitment standpoint, the ability to be able to bring people in from Montgomery County or Bucks County or um, South Jersey, anywhere in the uh, country, yeah, anywhere in the country, you literally do not have that ability to replenish or bring into your workforce. Correct. That's correct, and, and that's what. So, what it does, um, it, no one's going to move into the city for that had the potential of getting the job, right? If maybe if you knew you were getting the job, maybe you would, you know, uplift your family and move into Philadelphia. But uh, that's not going to happen. Like the, the people, uh, the medics out in uh, the counties and stuff like that, they're, they're you know. They're established out there. They have a family. The kids go to school out there. Um, I just don't see why they can't lift uh, that, you know, restriction for 
paramedics in the city. Now, it's, Chuck. It's, you know, it don't, mean, make, don't make sense. Th- this is clearly a public safety issue. They must know it. I mean, I, there are reports on news, Satan, that the city is denying that there is. There clearly is a, a public safety issue here, and there, there's a, clearly a manpower issue. Seems common sense. What is the city council? What are they saying when you tell them we're wait? How short are we? Um, so we're, we're we're very short. Um, so, for instance, just like this is I have last week's numbers, and um, just to open the doors. Uh, there was 52 spots, uh, EMS spots, that needed to be filled. And that could be either a uh, medic or um, an EMT. Uh, 52 on a tw- for a 12-hour shift that needed to be filled. So that's either with overtime or a detail of firemen into that spot. So if you can't get overtime, because it's, sometimes it's tough on the weekends, especially in the summer, um, you're detailed firemen. So what that does is you're taking the firemen off the fire truck now you have to backfill that fireman's position. So that's 52 people you have to detail, and then it's 52 spots that you have to hire. I mean, that's, that's hard on the, the, the officers doing the hiring. Uh, where are you going to get them bodies that, you know, like that, that fast? Um, it, it, no one's doing anything about it. That's the problem. And um, we, we did get a waiver. Uh, I think the waiver was for six months or a year. I, I forget what it was. Mike actually did it. We went to civil service, uh, applied for the waiver. So that would eliminate um, them. Uh, people coming from the counties having to live um, in the city before they got the job. They can get the job, and then they had six months to move into the city. And like I said, if you know you live out in the in the burbs, you're not going to take your kid out of school and, you know, move your whole family into the city. And it's only for four years because you can move back out after you get five years on the job. So all this is over four years. Chuck you know, McQuilkin. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. Chuck McQuilkin, who's the VP Chief of Operations, joining us here uh, on the Labor Show. Chuck, just um, again, just so I can provide some clarity and even just some understanding for me, if 52 is the number and – even getting to that number because of the shortage and the restriction creates an issue. What's the real number? Is the real number for staffing a 12-hour shift? Should it be 64 or 75? I don't know what the I don't know what the real number should be. Maybe it is 52, but I'm just trying to understand. It's almost as if you're short to begin with because of budget and then you're even shorter because of the restriction yeah that yeah that that's correct um and then and you got to take into account for injuries um you know different assignments um there's a class up the academy now firefighter class so they have medics detailed up there to teach you know uh the emt's uh side of, of the the uh schooling so you know in any given day that you have paramedics in different um, job, they're doing different jobs and it takes them off the street. So, you know, uh, I, I don't, there's 61 medic units in, in the city of Philadelphia. Um, there are 14 are BLS units, basic life support, and they are uh, staffed by two firefighters. And the rest of the medic units are what they call uh, ALS and, they, they just uh, 
they took medic units from the basic unit, there was the pool of basic units, and made them uh, ALS. So they added more ALS, but they had less staffing to do it. So, yeah, there's going to be shortages. Um, and, and, and just real quick, Chuck, in the course of a 12-hour shift, how many calls or, or it, how many calls of responsibility is there an average that you factor into that number like a, we do about a thousand uh, calls a day um, the majority of them being EMS calls um, so you know it, it depends on what kind of night it is you know a summer a weekend in the summer um, you know you, you're looking to go over that sometimes uh, holiday weekend um, yeah it varies but our, we average about a thousand uh, calls a day. Um, that's in a 24-hour shift. So, like I said, de- depending what part of the city uh, you're assigned to, the the numbers vary. And and Chuck, and, you know, we got a mi- about a minute left, but you were also having the same problem with 911 operators, right? I mean, you're you're having Correct. fire firefighters and police rank and file. Uh, Firefighters and police coming in because there's a shortage of 911 uh, operators as well. Correct. Correct. We, it, I'll tell you this: firefighters um, in the city of Philadelphia are the answers to all the problems. We're like the Marines of 911 uh, because whenever there's a problem, they pull firefighters to to solve that problem. Whether it's dispatchers who uh, we're not dispatchers; they're, they're a whole separate entity um not even associated with um local 22 we would we, get assigned down there um they, they have us filling in uh medic units they have us acting as officers and it's you know it's like it gets a little bit uh old after a while but you know did, did doc this 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 didn't happen overnight this is a a, a thing that's been growing and just you know, you keep putting a Band-Aid on, on things, it's, you're never going to fix it, right? It, it's just, it gets bigger, and it's getting bigger. It's a laceration, and they're trying to put a Band-Aid on it. That's what it's like, and um, it's not going to work. You know. Chuck McQuilkin, who's the VP Chief of Operations, joining us here uh, along with Mike Bresnan, president of uh, Local 22. We'll get to our next break. Jay Doc on the other side of the break. Uh, first VP Tommy uh, McKiernan uh, is going to join us as well. The story continues. Commons, life is about common sense. I don't quite understand the thought process. Why not save it. money with our lives and, and our families that are in, in harm's way? And, and, and people, you, call us, you, you have a loved one who's in trouble? You want to call him? We're shorthanded and we're replacing him with, uh, you know, now we don't have enough men and, and women at the, uh, you know, in the firehouse. It's unbelievable. Back in a moment. This edition of the Labor Show is sponsored in part by Sprinkler Fitters Local 692, Laborers District Council, Steam Fitters Local 420, and the International Union of Operating Engineers Local 542. We're going to try to work with Republicans in a bipartisan way to find solutions to what really is not working. And back here live on... Saturday night. This is the Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause. Special thanks to uh, Chuck McQuilkin, the VP of Chief Operations, for uh, joining us in our uh, 
previous segment, Jay Doc, before we move forward um, and bring in VP Tommy McKiernan uh, to join us uh, and join you for some uh, conversation. Mike, um, I want to get you to just weigh in, if you will. Um, Mike Brennan, the president of Local 22, uh, as J-Doc said during the break, uh, you're constantly putting out fires, literally and and in reality. Uh, Comment on some of that dialogue we had with Chuck. You're aware of it. What are your thoughts? Yeah, Krause, Chucky hit the nail on the head. He's been pointing on this for a long time. And um, like he said, it's a a gaping wound or trying to put Band-Aids on. And, you know, back to the city, they were putting stuff out on KYW. They never gave us a chance to respond, and they were saying how we're fear-mongering. Well, we took their numbers, their numbers on black-and-white paper from their city quarterly manager report. It says there's 3,400 budgeted, vacancy, vac- budgeted positions in the city fire department. 2,700 of them are filled. So you do the math. There's a gap there. Now, that does... That does include a relief factor, and they say, "Oh, well, we'll just we'll just f- cover it with overtime." Well, that's the trap we fell in the back in 2008, 2009, when Mayor Noah closed seven fire companies and browned out companies because he had a fiscal crisis. The overtime uh, figures balloon, so he figured in his administration, "Oh, we'll just eliminate the uh, spots and we won't have to fill the vacancies." But they took away fire companies, and we're still short three of them. So that's that's what we're trying to avoid, and the citizens that haven't lived in the city back then need to know that, that that could be on the horizon if we lose these valuable personnel. Yeah, it's like being in the twilight zone, actually. I mean, you know, yeah, I don't yeah, know what, that's a, that's a good, I, good analogy, yeah. I mean, I don't know what our, our budget is with the city, but if we're going to skimp, it, it shouldn't be on uh, these particular services, particularly if it's your loved one whose life is on the line and you get you know, and, 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 and you're not having individuals that, normally do that job come out uh having said that and like joe you're right like we said you're putting out fires everywhere let me bring in uh first vp uh tommy mckeon and tom how are you sir good i'm doing good gentlemen you can hear me yeah we can hear you great man um listen you know you 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 know we're going to talk to you about another situation that's egregious and 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 really Really, this is another Twilight Zone type situation. There's something called, you know, there, there's a cancer presumption. They just had cancer presumption hearings, a, a cancer presumption situation, um, and, and, and individuals aren't getting the right treatment who have can't Talk about the situation. I, I can't even believe it when somebody told me it. Um, yeah, so this has been uh, an ongoing battle since, uh, I guess, 2011 when the bill was put into place. I'm going to throw a couple numbers at you guys real quick. Um, so between 2002-2019, NIOSH, you guys are familiar with NIOSH, yep. and the National Fire Protection Agency put together some data. Uh, that data was collected by the Firefighter Cancer Support Network. They're a nonprofit go-to for all the firefighters across the country. Um, so they made a couple of determinations. Um, the number one cause of death now for firefighters across the country, 66% of all career firefighter line of duty deaths is due to cancer. Uh, it surpassed uh, all the cardiac issues. Um, firefighters have a 9% higher risk being diagnosed with cancer and a 14% higher risk of dying from cancer than the general population. So uh, with all this data coming out uh, back in 2011, probably like 2010, uh, the state house and the state senate uh, were made aware of this and they decided to come up with a presumption bill. So um, the problem with the presumption bill, uh, 
in layman's terms, is it's not really worth the paper it's written on. Um, the original bill um, came out, and when it was enacted, uh, there was no type of cancer that was excluded when a firefighter got cancer. So it gets a little complicated here because it's a little bit like sort of a workman's comp type issue. Um, so the intent of the bill is to provide firefighters in the state of Pennsylvania, um, career and volunteer firefighters, with uh, compensation benefits um, that they developed cancer and they could establish an exposure, I'm sorry, uh, to carcinogens. Um, so now, isn't there, you had to be at a fire. Tommy, isn't there a list of carcinogens that are uh, on that list, and 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 you know they're they're using that as as some sort of a uh, a way out of it? Uh, you know, I and mean, if something's not on the list, right? So originally, when the bill was written, it was all cancers, and there was a couple of appeals from municipalities across the state. And what happened was um, they added what they call the International Agency for Research on Cancer list of carcinogens. So. There's 27 major carcinogens, but the agents that contribute to those carcinogens, the list is over 100. I mean, so you're looking at exposures to uh, asbestos, benzenes, acids, carbons, um, uh, polycarbs, dioxins, arsenic, uh, exhaust, diesel exhaust. They're all the type of things that uh, burn in a fire. Um, the members are exposed to it. So the problem with the presumption bill is in the state of Pennsylvania, workman's comp, the employee normally has the burden of proof as to whether they were exposed to a disease or an injury. Um, the presumption bill was supposed to change that, and by the interference from the courts, um, it flipped it right back into the um, burden of proof uh, on the firefighter. So, so you have members that are really sick, and what's the situation there? They're... they're uh... You know, I've heard, uh, you know, individuals uh, in, in, in City Hall tell me that who were in support of, of uh, uh, Councilman David O called me up and said, it seems like a strategy of, of risk management is to is to not do anything and wait and outweigh a, a situation until uh, somebody dies. I mean, what the situation with, with the individuals that are sick right now, what should they be getting and what is actually happening? All right. So. Like, without getting all the legalities, um, I'll leave it up to the lawyers. Um, I'll, I'll tell you what happens to our members, and, and this is what uh, gets us riled up. So a member files a claim, and they make notice to the city, um, and they send the claim over to risk management. And risk management has what they call a third-party administrator, uh, PMA, who makes a decision on whether the cancer is covered or not. Um, so workman's comp's tough, right? So they have what they call um, uh, temporary uh order of compensation, or they have um, yep. an issue where they're just flat out denied. Yep. All right, so if a member's denied, um, they have to use their own sick time, or they have to come to work. All right, so if a member's still healthy enough to come to work, they come into work, and they do their job. If they're too sick, they have to run out of their own sick time. So the problem arises here when you have a member, say, that isn't old enough to retire. So we don't get lifetime medical. We get five years medical after year of retirement, uh, age. So if I have a 50 year old member who has 15 years on the job and he has cancer, and he's too sick to work. He goes off the rolls. All right. So he's not a city employee anymore. Eventually, uh, after a, a certain period of time, the problem with that is they don't have any medical. So if they don't get it to Medicare age or if their claims not accepted, they're uh, up to their own resources on how to get medical. Now, luckily, hopefully, uh, maybe their spouse can get medical. Maybe they have to go on welfare. 
um, you know, to get Medicare. Um, but that's a situation our members have right now. So they're being left in the dust is what's happening. And what department in the city handles this? Is this is this risk management? Yeah, it's risk management. So um, they're not breaking the law, okay? But the problem is here, the claims are getting denied, but they don't have to be denied. This is what's happening. And who can do something about this? Well, the, the city administration can. Um, I mean, I don't want to name names, uh, but risk management and the city administration can handle this and take care of it. City Council, um, uh, David O, you know, thank God, had the, uh, the hearings. Um, Cindy Bass wants to expand those hearings. Um, I hope that happens uh, to put a little bit of pressure. But city council's only power um, is a resolution because this is a state law. So, Tom, not to cut in, but uh, Joe, bottom line is, and I know Tommy's being, you know, it's the mayor. Mayor, he hires uh, risk management. So it goes to the top. And uh, we always want to have a conversation with him, get this straightened out. But I'll let Tommy continue. He's really, he's really um, explaining what's going on here. Sure, go ahead, Tom. All right. So, um, so city council doesn't have the resources to stop this or to change it. They can do a resolution, and the resolution, you know, puts some weight on the city administration. Um, there's some talk about us going back to the state and asking the state to rewrite it, but there's the League of Cities and there's insurance companies out there that are actually, believe it or not, fighting this because of the cost. So every single little municipality out there in the state has their own costs, obviously. And from what I understand, and that we have to talk to the legislators up at the state, that some of these insurance companies are just refusing to cover uh, some of these cancers. Um, yeah. So I, that's I, the yeah. boat we're in. It's a tough battle uphill. And you have members that are in, in serious danger. Uh, David O, when he when when he when he actually called me about it, was you know he, like you said he called the, the the hearing. It took a long time to get the hearing, and you have members that are in a situation where they're gravely ill. And uh, if 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 it lasts much longer, they may not make it. Correct. We've we've had cases um, where. It starts at three years in court. Um, some of these cases could take three to six years on average. Uh, the other issue is we, uh, some of our members who have already passed away and the claims were filed. We just had one um, line of duty death that was uh, given out to the, by the city. It took 14 years in court from the time, from the day it was initiated to the day that the claim was settled. And, but that's workman's comp court, too. So, um, yeah, the, the, what I'm worried about is a lot of these guys are having their cases fought. And the problem is, it's going to be too late. That's incredible. Uh, now, um, I'll, I'll mention one name, um, because I have permission to mention it, and that's what most of the hearing was about, was John Narkin, uh, Chief Narkin. So his concern is he wants everything settled before he passes away, so um, his, wife gets, his wife gets benefits. Um, that's the issue. So when you have a line-of-duty death, your pension payout uh, to your spouse uh, and the medical benefits uh, change. Um, that's a whole other conversation to have. First Vice President Tommy McKiernan joining us here uh, to finish it up uh, in hour number one. Um, Mike Bresen, I know you're with us. Uh, I've got about 45 seconds before we got to get to a commercial break. I'd love for you to uh, take 40 of it um, and just kind of put a closing statement out there until we convene again. Well, Tommy did a, a very nice job for us there explaining that um, it is complicated. But, however, like I said before, politicians, the mayor, city council, the governors, they got to understand their job is public safety, number one. 
and we are the ones that provide that for them. So take care of the ones who take care of you. And somebody like John Narkin, his middle name is Dedication and Service. He needs to be taken care of so he can rest peacefully and know his wife's going to be taken care of. <laughs> Good stuff from Mike Bresnan, president of the International Association of Firefighters, Local 22, Chuck McQuilkin, VP Chief of Operations, Tommy McKiernan, finishing up for us, the first uh, vice president. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us uh, on a Saturday night. Uh, we're out there. Uh, whenever you need us. And, and thanks for what you guys are doing for your members. Keep up the good fight. Like Joe Krause just said, we're your voice box if you need us and when you need us. Thanks, right, guys. Jay, appreciate Jay. that. Thanks. Appreciate it. You uh, we'll it, take bro. a short, fast commercial break. Uh, we'll come back with a three-minute interview, and then we'll wrap up our number one. Back in a moment. Tonight's edition of The Labor Show is sponsored in part by Iron Workers Local 401, Boilermakers Local 13, Plumbers Local 690, Roofers Local 30, and IBEW Local 98. Choose a Local 98 contractor. Back here live on The Labor Show, Jay Doc. We're going to wrap it up in a really, really positive way. Absolutely. I'm going to bring into the program uh, Pat Walsh of my favorite local, Iron Workers Local 401. Pat, how are you, sir? Good. How are you guys doing tonight? We're doing fantastic. I know you had a, a really successful uh, clothing drive today at, at Ironworkers Local 401 to benefit Project Home. Just talk about it. Tell us how it went. Uh, it went great, guys. And I, I want to thank you guys personally that you know for all the promotion you guys did to help this cause, uh, You know, reaching out to all the different trades. And all the different trades came in with the generosity that was overwhelming. I mean... It shows, you know, for me personally, it shows that when we work together in this city, the Philadelphia Union Labors, I mean, you see the skyline, you know there's nothing we can't do. And it came up big today for Project Home, which does amazing work in the city. And we have so much stuff to bring down to them tomorrow. I had to rent a, a moving truck. That's how much we collected today. And inside through the generosity mo- of the union members. And, Pat, inside that moving truck will be – uh, a box or a big container of 200 toothbrushes and, and, yeah. and, and, and kits and, th- <laughs> yeah, and things that. like that. Yeah, I mean, it, people, like, it wasn't just people cleaning out their closet, guys, either. You know, it was people purchased, like, hats and socks. And, like like you said, somebody got a box of 200 brand-new toothbrushes. I don't even know where you buy 200 toothbrushes. But what, they found a way, you know what I mean? And just like I said, the toiletries and everything brand new and there was coats and so much stuff. We sort of threw it, you know, so we can hand it to them in an organized fashion down there tomorrow. I mean, well, like I said, uh, it was great. It was a very good turnout today. Listen, man, uh, Pat, we want to thank you, man, because you spearheaded this. You're passionate. And, and it shows like what you said uh, when labor puts its mind to it, there's nothing we can't accomplish. And we don't do a good enough job of talking about it. And and so, we, you know, obviously, shout out to Pat Walsh of Ironworkers Circle 401, all the members at 401, and all of our building trades and unions around the AFL-CIO for, for, you know, coming together, making a difference, and impacting lives. Keep up the good work, Pat. Great stuff, Pat. Uh, thank you, brother. Thank you, guys. Have a good night. Awesome. Uh, right good back stuff at you. from Pat Walsh, putting an exclamation point on our number one of the labor show with J. Doc and Krause. Don't touch that dial. Hour number two, the John Doherty Hour, gets underway. We'll see you after the top of the hour. Stay with us, everyone.
This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management.